What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The financial exchange is produced by Money Matters Radio and is hosted by employees of the Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor that provides investment advisory services. All opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, do not reflect the opinions of Armstrong Advisory or anyone else, and do not guarantee profit. Investments can lose money. This program does not offer any specific financial or investment advice. Please consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong and Money Matters Radio do not compensate each other for referrals and are not affiliated. This is the Financial Exchange with Chuck Zotta and Mike Armstrong. Your exclusive look at business and financial news affecting your day, your city, your world. Stay informed and up-to-date about economic and market trends. Plus, get breaking business news every day. The Financial Exchange is a proud partner of the Disabled American Veterans Department of Massachusetts. You, too, can support our great American heroes by visiting financialexchangeshow.com slash DAV. And now, it's time for The Financial Exchange with Chuck Zada and Mike Armstrong. It's Chuck, Mike, and Tucker with you. And right now, we've got the Dow up 82 points. The S&P's up 5. The NASDAQ down 23. So a mixed day to... Uh, a mixed start to the end of the month. It's the beginning of the end, not the end of the beginning. Okay. And so markets are mixed at the moment. Uh, we did just get a nice uh, little news dump from the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve. Uh, Michael Barr, the Vice Chair for Supervision, uh, just released the 118-page report on... What went wrong with Silicon Valley Bank? And Chuck had uh, ChatGPT read through it in between the break, and so we're, we're good to report on it. Honestly, uh, I should plug this in right now, and I bet we'd have a nice little one-page summary by the end of the show, at least. You think it could digest 118 pages by the end of the show? Honestly, so I'm... Um, hold on. <laughs> you talk for a second. So... Uh, Obviously, we have not had time to dig through 118 pages of content here in terms of what failed at Silicon Valley Bank, but two of the key takeaways thus far have been that the bank's own supervision made, quote, textbook failures in managing interest rate risk. And then furthermore, Fed regulators really failed to understand and point out Silicon Valley Bank's problems. And that, that piece is interesting to me as well which is it wasn't as though they could if the they message could, i submitted was too long please reload the conversation and submit something nah, shorter. i told you so uh to me one of the takeaways and again this is very initial but the fed regulators seem to be saying that hey it wasn't as though we warned the bank persistently enough about this problem ahead of time there is plenty of bank it, there's seemingly plenty of blame to go around here with the Fed itself for not identifying these issues and understanding how it could collapse Silicon Valley as well. So going through this and just trying to make sense out of it uh, in what they found, uh, one of the big things that they did note is that uh, there were 31 different warnings addressed to Silicon Valley Bank. That is triple the average number of its peers. Okay. So the, the Fed did 
point some things out. Yep. Yes, they, they did notice that, gee, maybe this wasn't uh, going as well as it should have. And, and they have four key factors here. The board of directors and management failed to manage their risks. When you don't have a chief risk officer, I could say Tough that. to manage your risks. Supervisors did not fully appreciate the extent of the vulnerabilities as Silicon Valley Bank grew in size and complexity. So that's pointing a finger at the Fed. When supervisors did identify vulnerabilities, they did not take sufficient steps to ensure Silicon Valley Bank fixed those problems. And the So what's an insufficient step? Like sending a text message to them? Like, hey, you guys should do something about this. Uh, I'm very curious as to what sort of warnings actually occurred. Let me see if I can 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 get there here. While I'm not a bank manager, were I getting warnings from the Federal Reserve that I'm doing something wrong, I would think that I'd pay a little bit of close attention to them. So I'm just going to quote from here. Just again, it's um, this is all kind of in real time. During the second half of 22 and into 23, as SVBFG's liquidity stream steadily weakened, Unrealized losses accumulated on securities portfolios and its performance outlook deteriorated. Supervisor continued to accumulate evidence of widespread weaknesses and delayed escalating supervisory action. So it really sounds like, hey, you saw this. You being the San Francisco Fed, you knew it was a problem, but you didn't want to do anything. Quite honestly. For example, it took more than seven months to develop an informal enforcement action known as a Memorandum of Understanding to address the underlying risks related to oversight by their various boards of directors and senior management. Seven months, and Silicon Valley Bank failed before the Memorandum of Understanding was delivered. Quite honestly, I'm wondering, had a warning, a Memorandum of Understanding been drafted and delivered by end of 2022? Could anything actually have been done to turn this around other than the bank collapsing earlier? Don't know. I mean, it's tough to prove a negative out here, but by 2022, a lot of the end, a lot of the damage had been done, especially by you know, Q4. While supervisors did issue supervisory findings, the delay in a rating downgrade meant that SVB effectively continued to operate below supervisory expectations for more than a year, despite its growing size and complexity. Overall, the supervisory approach at SVB, and, and when they say supervisory, they're referring to the Federal Reserve, not to, yes, not, to the bank. not to the bank, was too deliberative and focused on the continued accumulation of supporting evidence in a consensus-driven environment. Furthermore, the rating assigned as a smaller firm set the default view of SVB as a well-managed firm when the new supervisory team was assigned in 2021 after SVB's rapid growth. This makes downgrades more difficult in practice big problem so what it you're you're a bank regulator that takes seven months to warn a bank that they're in trouble what it sounds like here and and i'm not excusing the fed or anything along those lines but what it sounds like here is the san francisco fed was operating under a framework that allowed it to move at a certain pace whereas the broader federal reserve you know the open market committee was raising interest rates at a pace that necessitated a more rapid review of the liquidity risks in the banking sector. If this were a normal Fed hiking cycle, and let's say a 5% rise in interest rates took four years to play out instead of nine months, it could be something where, okay, we identified this, and yeah, this was no problem because it took four years to build up and we fixed it before then. Because the Fed had to raise rates so quickly... Also partially because they were so far behind the eight ball with how high inflation was and completely misreading the situation there. So 
yeah, some blame to the the broader Fed also. The internal policies and procedures at the San Francisco Fed were insufficient and they moved too slowly. Yeah. So more to come on this. We'll have the weekend to go through it. But first, I don't think it changes our overall opinion. Most of the blame goes to Silicon Valley Bank for acting completely inappropriately and not managing their own risk. 82.5%. There's a lot of blame here at the Fed for having inadequate ways to evaluate and warn banks about their behavior. I still put the Fed third. Who do you put second? The depositors who tried to pull almost 75% of the funds out in a day, despite being venture capitalists with the word capital in their name, and when asked to contribute capital into a bank that had supported their endeavors for the entire career, they chose to pull their money out instead. Oh. I kind of blame them. What they did was rational in the sense of, hey, if threatened because you have this huge uninsured deposit at a bank, yes, you should address the uninsured deposit problem. But it also could have been fixed if they simply said, oh, you're asking for a billion and a half? Great, we've got all these uninsured deposits here. Let's contribute to that billion and a half capital raise so that you don't go out of business. Yeah. Instead, they said everybody pulled their money. Yeah. Like, they could have done both. So, they caused the failure, but they didn't contribute to all the problems at the beginning. You know why no other banks, aside from First Republic's Soon to be failed and signature have failed? Because nobody ran the bank. Because no one else ran on the banks. Yeah. But wouldn't they have if the Fed and Treasury and FDIC didn't take all the steps that they did? If you want to say that the Fed gets equal blame there, I'm fine with yeah. that. Like, but you had all these venture capitalists who were, you know, oh, we're so good at our jobs. Look at what we do. We're venture capitalists. We venture into capital and blah. And instead, what happened? Oh, no, we got to pull the money out. Run away. Yeah, I mean, uh, here's where the venture capitalists, to me, have some of the blame. Don't encourage or require all of your depositors, all of your, all of your invest, uh, invested companies, to use one single bank. And, and as part of that, then the bank also was... Oh, you've got this here. Well, we're going to make all of your loans here. So you yeah. have to, you know, keep all your business here as a requirement. That is the part that's on you, venture capital firms, is you encouraged and required all of your clients to put your money at Silicon Valley Bank and did not take into consideration the risks at a bank where 97% of the deposits are uninsured. And I'll go further there. Your venture capitalists are supposed to be savvy investors oh we're not for the the mere plebs out in the workforce no we're savvy and you didn't even have any of these accounts set up with sweep programs to make sure that the money was not sitting uninsured in a single bank during this earning no interest by the way like what are you doing okay i I, i've i've now got myself on board with blaming the venture capitalists for some of the failure at silicon valley bank thanks for getting me there chuck welcome it's a Good day. I always like to blank uh, blame venture capitalists. So they're my fifth favorite group to blame mm. after MBAs. Okay, FIFA, the IOC, MBTA, and the MBTA. <laughs> it's usually one of those groups that's responsible. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and is that alphabet soup of blame? Well, hey, I'm reading through this report here. I'm reading through this report here. 
What the heck is ERG EGRRCPA? What's, what's, what's Agrippa? You don't know my pal Agrippa? <laughs> what 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 is to college with Agrippa? What is that? <laughs> okay, clearly I'm not that neck deep in banking regulation cuz I don't know what that is. Yeah, look that up. I don't even know how to type that into Google. <laughs> we'll get back to you. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. Trivia's next. If you missed any of today's show, catch up whenever you want on our YouTube page. Find daily show segments and full shows. Just go to YouTube.com and search for The Financial Exchange. This is your home for breaking business and financial news. This is The Financial Exchange Radio Network. Financial planning never sleeps, so as spring comes into full swing, now's a great time to spring clean your finances. The new guide from the Armstrong Advisory Group may help you do just that. This is Mike Armstrong, and our guide talks about planning for a one-time expense this year, like a new car or a long family vacation and how that might affect your finances. We'll also look at how to plan for any upcoming major expenses in future years, like buying a new home or paying for college. Our new guide is called Nine Tips to Spring Clean Your Finances and it's yours free of charge by calling 800-393-4001. This guide's chock full of information that may help you understand how to handle any changes you're dealing with now or may deal with down the road. So call right now and get yours today. Again, that's 800-393-4001 or you can request the guide online at armstrongadvisory.com. The proceeding was paid for by Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor. Nothing in the ad or in any Armstrong guide is specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong may contact you to offer investment advisory services. For your chance to win our daily trivia contest, text us at 617-362-1385 and use keyword ENCORE. Complete rules are available at financialexchangeshow.com. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. China ratchets up pressure on foreign companies. This is a headline from the Wall Street Journal. And I'll just read a, a paragraph here. In recent weeks, Chinese authorities have questioned staff at consulting firm Bain & Company's Shanghai office in a surprise visit, launched a cybersecurity review of imports from chipmaker Micron Technology, detained an employee of Japanese drug maker Estellas Pharma, and raided the Beijing office of U.S. due diligence company Mintz Group. What do you make of this, Mike? Um, more of the same, but it, let's give a little bit more context here. So over the last few years, there's been a big fight between the U.S. Uh, regulators and China in terms of uh, books and records requirements for Chinese companies that choose to list on U.S. exchanges. They got yeah. pretty close to booting a bunch of them off of there, and then the Chinese government acquiesced and started allowing um, this, these independent auditors into those. Um, furthermore, China's been on this reopening campaign saying, hey, we are you know, encouraging and opening up for business again. And then this happens. And it seems to be directly contradictory uh, to those two actions that I just mentioned and perhaps is just a, a, another way of China confronting the West in, in different ways. Or I guess not just the West. I mean, the West and its allies like Japan. Here's something that, and I'm going to take this in a, a slightly different direction. One of the things that I always find interesting when people talk about, in the last couple of years in particular, you know, oh, who's going to want to, you know, do business using the U.S. dollar after, you know, they sanction these companies? And look at all these, you know, countries that are trying to move away from the dollar because of sanctions and so on and so forth. Russia, I mean, the United States cut off Russian access to about $300 billion. And the answer is not going to be the Chinese yuan. 
because not, if not you based on this. because if you think that dealing with what the U.S. government wants you to do as far as you know reporting where your money is and what you do and so on and so forth, the Chinese government is ten times more intrusive and more controlling about what you can. If so long as you don't piss them off. If you, as an example, were to say, if you were to say. Gee, I don't think that the United States should have, you know, territories in Guam, as an example. Mm. Is the U.S. government going to confiscate your assets? No. If you and China were going to say, I don't think that China has a legitimate claim to Taiwan, or Chinese government Kong. is going to take your assets and make sure you don't ever earn enough to accumulate new assets again. Yeah. As an example, on the other hand, see Jack Ma. Yeah. On the other hand, if you never recognize Taiwan, um, they will give you manufacturing priority in the country. They will give you special access to all sorts of markets. And so it, I, don't, I don't know. Like we're we, we talk to- about this logically, how I would react to it. But were I have a developing nation who is desperate for cash and investment, would you be giving willing to give up that you know freedom of opinion and speech when it comes to the Chinese they government? They can't. They can't. It's because the very foundation of the Chinese government is the idea that the party provides for you. The party is supreme and cannot be questioned. Like, that is the whole premise. Right. I'm talking about other countries that might want to do business there. Which one? Like, if I the, am the US or Brazil, and I am desperate for development, and I am I willing to say to, I guess, my government, hey, do not speak badly about China. In exchange, we're going to get access to a whole new market. Well, you are until they, they come in and take all your stuff when you can't repay the debt that they yeah. you know lend you and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But so, again, I wouldn't react that way were I the leader of Brazil, but other, yeah, other leaders may. No, but if you were the leader of a company. Yeah. Would you go there? Th- that's that's where you say, gee, yeah, there's there's upside because I got this market I could sell into or this cheap labor. But man, what kind of line do I have to toe now as opposed to what it previously was? The answer for the last 50 years has been resoundingly yes, I'll go do that. It feels like we're getting closer to an inflection point, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, Apple's the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, when you detain a Japanese drug maker, uh, employees of Japanese drug maker, and just start raiding offices, yeah, it, it seems like you would get there. But Apple has made itself a two point whatever trillion dollar company by using cheap manufacturing from China to do so, and they are intentionally telling investors that they're trying to move away from that. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the canary in the coal? Like, should what, be. Tim Cook's entire career was built on building great relations with China so they could get the labor and product they needed when they needed it. Yeah. By the way, if you think that you have a company that is capable of measuring risk in China right now, it should be a warning to you. Like, Mince Group, like Mince Levin, yeah. like, this is a big global asset manager with risk management trying to figure out what's going on in these different countries and they are raiding their offices right now it's not great good luck it's not great it's not let's take a quick break here markets remain mixed at the moment we're going to be back talking snap after after this
the Financial Exchange is live on Facebook. So make sure to like our page and watch the guys break down the latest on the markets every day beginning at 10 on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Miss any of the show? You can catch up at your convenience by visiting FinancialExchangeShow.com and clicking the on-demand icon where you'll find all of our interviews and full shows. This is your home for the latest business and financial news in New England and around the country. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Mike, you want to talk a little bit about Snap? Yeah, does anybody in this room use Snap? I was playing with it yesterday because they had cool filters for my kids to laugh at. But I, I don't I check know in like once a snap. I check in like once a week on Snap, if that. I don't know what the kids are doing these days. I know they're TikToking. I don't know if they're still snapping. But um, Snap generated talk. Snap generated a little bit less than a billion dollars in revenue in the first quarter, which was a seven percent drop from the year ago figure. And my takeaway here is seems to be going in opposite directions of Meta. It is not a platform that has enough reach to maintain. If you're an advertiser, it's clear that you are not going to, if, if you're asked to reduce your budget. Snap's the place to go first. That's the place they're going first. Yeah. It's not Google. Yep. It's not Facebook. You might even be adding to your Amazon budget. But Snap, you're TikTok saying. TikTok too. TikTok, we don't know. Right, yeah, you just, you'd assume that they're adding there, yeah. but we don't know. I, I've never actually been on TikTok, so... Me either. Yeah, this is... Um, and it also seems to me that they are having a tougher time navigating the new Apple rules than Facebook is. Facebook's you know, speaking to oh, their, their generative AI is doing a better job of targeting advertisements. Snap is... You know, pointed to some things that they considered one-time items that are hitting their, hitting their revenues, but I just... Have a tough time believing it. Yeah, I, I I don't really know what to to it, say as far so as so they quote their quote was that Snap said demand for ads in the most recent quarter was disrupted by changes it made to its system to drive more click through conversions. They're disruptive in the short term. They're optimistic that it's going to lead to future growth. <sighs> Need a little more than optimism. Need what, proof. What am I going to get from subscribing to an AI chatbot on Snap? It's going to guess what filter you want to use. Yeah. Like, what's what's there? And, and obviously, they've had no success with any of the hardware stuff they've tried to roll out. Honestly, the 399 thing that you just discussed is some way for them to say that we're using AI in their earnings call. Nobody's going to subscribe to it. Further proof that AI, in my opinion... Here's why I think... AI's I, the, yeah, it's ahead. the new blockchain, but it's 
I think it's both underestimated and overestimated. So it's just estimated. No. <laughs> Here's I think that the I think companies are getting too much excitement today in terms of oh they're doing AI and that's going to generate like a ton of revenue, which I think is the overestimation. I think the underestimation is we don't realize how much AI is actually going to reshape how these companies even look right. five years from now. Right. That's what I got. Beneficiary planning and asset protection go together like PB&J. But saying you're leaving everything to your kids isn't as simple as it sounds, especially if they have problems of their own. If you're retired or nearing retirement, it's time to consider the best way to keep your assets in your family while avoiding significant financial consequences down the road. Call Cushing and Dolan, the experts in elder law. They've got a brand new guide out right now, how to leave assets to your beneficiaries. And by the way, it's the last day of the month, technically, as uh, May is on Monday. If you want your assets to transition smoothly within your family, there are important steps that you should take before simply putting names on the dotted line. Call 866-848-5699 and get your free guide today. It's the last day of the month, so that guide is going to go back in the vault. So this is your chance to get the guide. You'll learn which paths are the safest when it comes to protecting yourself and your children. That number again, 866-848-5699, or you can request it from their website, legalexchangeshow.com. Com. The proceeding was paid for and the views expressed are solely those of Cushing and Dolan. Cushing and Dolan and or Armstrong Advisory may contact you offering legal or investment services. Cushing and Armstrong do not endorse each other and are not affiliated. Exxon and Chevron both uh, reporting earnings and collectively posting $18 billion in first quarter profits. So even as gas prices have come down over the last year, these companies still reporting good profits, just not the record-breaking ones they were putting up last year yeah when you don't spend pretty easy to make a whole bunch of profit and that's what investors have been asking them to do is don't expand right now don't expand your capacity don't go drill more wells we want you to just rake in profit um you suspect that if oil hangs out here for long enough that investor sentiment starts to shift a little bit because you know hey if, if oil profits are this high and they could be growing then you expect that they would change a little bit but so far i don't think you've seen really any indication in terms of activist investors jumping in there and saying hey exxon hey chevron go build a new offshore well and go start looking for new oil i did uh, just take note of one uh, paragraph in here i think it was you who turned me onto this uh the the first time i i read about it Exxon announced Thursday it's moving ahead with its fifth project off the shores of Guyana, where the company is tapping vast new reserves of oil. It's a $12.7 billion development that'll pump 250,000 barrels of oil a day when it starts in 2026. The economy of Guyana has basically exploded. Fastest growing economy in the world. Because they discovered just a boatload of oil, yep. or lots of boatloads of oil, right offshore, and there's all kinds of energy money that is flowing in uh, to develop it right now. So the, the, the math on this is just really interesting to me. $12.7 billion development, 250,000 barrels a day. Let's assume get oil bear is going to be 80 a barrel, just sure. as, as a benchmark. Yep. Maybe it's higher, maybe it's lower. I don't know. That's $20 million a day that Exxon then recoups, or $7.3 billion a year in revenue that they recoup from a $12.7 billion development. Now, they have operating costs, obviously, sure. and things like that. Not 80 bucks a barrel worth of. No. 
So just to give you an idea of how these companies, you know, again, the, the dollars add up when you'd say, okay, 250000 a day over and yeah. over and over. Yeah. Some serious dough. It's, it's, it's a big chunk right there. So, uh, and remember, the world uses, what, 115, 120 million barrels a day these days, mm -hmm. somewhere like that. So, I mean, that's like a quarter percent of world oil production coming from one not necessarily one well in one country. I don't know if it's one well. I think that you can get more than one, one. company in one country. Y yes. One yeah. development. Yeah. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Paul LaMonica, and we're talking Chipotle after mm. this. Text us 617-362-1385 with your comments and questions about today's show. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. The United States Virgin Islands, St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John were recently voted a top Caribbean destination by Travel and Leisure Magazine and several other top media organizations, as well as the best Caribbean islands to visit in 2023 by the Caribbean Journal. Spring has arrived in New England, but it's still a perfect time to head to America's Caribbean paradise. When you arrive, you'll enjoy some of the most pristine beaches in the world, incredible scuba diving and snorkeling, and world-class culinary offerings. Book your trip today and fall naturally in rhythm with the heartbeat of the islands, where the sun is strong, the clouds are few, and the weather is perfect every day. Travel from New England could not be easier, with no passport required, no money to exchange, and no travel restrictions to enter. Go to visitusvi.com and learn more about America's Caribbean paradise and book a trip today. That's visitusvi.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Missed one of our shows? Catch up anytime by asking your Alexa smart speaker to play the Financial Exchange. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. <laughs> April is National Financial Literacy Month. It's a good time to consider your life's goals and what you need to do to achieve them, especially when it comes to understanding the best ways to manage your money. Having a trusted partner like a credit union can prove to be extremely valuable because your financial well-being is at the heart of every credit union. Learn more at BetterValuesBetterBanking.com. We're joined now by Paul LaMonica, here to talk a little bit about Chipotle. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Chipotle apparently is raising prices, and unlike Tucker and I, who say, hey, maybe it's gotten a little bit too expensive. I went yesterday, but yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I was so you're just complaining, and then you go anyway. Accurate. Okay. Paul, is that what everyone else is doing? It does seem that way. I mean, uh, Chipotle said in its most recent earnings call that, uh, you know, while avocado prices have cooled a little bit, they are still seeing, uh, you know, inflation in a lot of other areas, dairy, tortillas, salsa, beans, rice, just about everything you would need to make uh, a burrito. And yet, despite that, the uh, company said on its earnings call, and remember, sales were great. They said that 
the middle class and affluent customers were definitely still spending heavily, but that lower income customers were also returning Chipotle and spending a lot more as well. So I think that people are just, you know, definitely happy with the food and willing to pay these higher prices. And that's great news for Chipotle investors because stocks at an all-time high now. Paul, just how good of a job has Brian Nickel done there since he came on board? Because he came on during a time where the company had some real questions, and it seems like every move they've made has just worked out fantastically since his uh, since he started there. Yeah, he has done a phenomenal job given that he came at a time when there were concerns about, legitimate worries about the E. coli outbreak and what that was going to mean for uh, the uh, the company, uh, you know, back in, uh, you know, 2015 and 2016. And, you know, Nicholas definitely turned uh, Chipotle around. Uh, I think most people have probably forgotten that incident. You don't hear too many people complaining or worrying about going to Chipotle and getting sick. And, you know, the, the immediate uh, rebound, uh, you know, in the, the few years after that uh, problem, that was the reason why when I was, uh, you know, back at uh, CNN Business, we named uh, Brian Nickel the CEO of the year for uh, for 2018, and clearly he's continuing to do a great job because stocks at a record high. So it's obviously done even better since uh, you know 2018 when we uh, you know gave him praise back then. What's Chipotle doing these days in terms of expansion for new locations, or is it mostly same store sales growth that is driving things for them? Yeah, it's it's really the same store sales growth that is phenomenal. I mean, to have double digit uh, same store sales growth uh, at a company this large is just really a testament to the fact that uh, you know consumers really love the food. So you have your your amazing same store sales growth. Obviously, inflation and the higher prices are uh, you know adding into that. But I think what a lot of people give uh, Chipotle credit for now is that they have really just turned this into a mobile first. Mm. Uh, restaurant fast casual uh, chain. So when you look at the fact that nearly 40% of their total food and beverage revenue is coming from digital sales, I mean, I know just from firsthand when my wife and I go to pick up Chipotle for us and the kids, there are more people picking up the bags that are being put out because of those mobile orders, including ours, than people just like popping in out of the blue and, and, placing an order in the, in the now seemingly antiquated way of showing up on an impulse and talking to someone about what you want. You're just doing it on the phone, you just pick up the bag, and you go. Paul, are they still poking around on trying uh, different brand concepts with you know other types of food, or is that uh, not something that uh, they've, they've done recently? No, they, I, I am aware that they have still uh, been looking at other uh, restaurant concepts, but I think that really this is a company that in the same way that, you know, McDonald's is McDonald's, and mm. it's not going to, I think, have these aspirations of turning themselves into a conglomerate that has multi-brands like a restaurant brands with Burger King and Popeye's and Tim Hortons or a Yum! brands with... Uh, KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. I mean, Chipotle may have other smaller concepts, but I don't get the sense that this company is looking to turn itself into a multi-brand, fast-casual giant. Why do you need to as long as 
Chipotle has the success and popularity that it's facing right that it's having right now. Very good, Paul. If anyone wants to uh, read what you're putting out these days, where do they go to find it? They can go to paulrlamonica.substack.com. I've set up uh, Substack just uh, for free right now, just to kind of get some thoughts out there about the markets and uh, economy. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I may make it uh, a subscription option at some point down the road, but uh, for now it is free. So I'd be happy to have more readers for that. I'm posting like one or two times a, a day. So. Fantastic. Paul, appreciate you joining us. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. That is Paul Monaco talking about Chipotle. That whole concept at the end got me thought, thinking about the idea of just a mass tie-up of all those fast casual places under one umbrella where you've got Panera, Chipotle, and Five Guys all in one. It's called a food court. <laughs> I know, but Tucker, here's what I'm getting at. All of those places right now do really strong mobile ordering things imagine oh, sure. if you could just have imagine if you could have those in one place one app to rule them all and you could get okay you're picking up you know lunch for the office great you can get half the people burgers a third of them sandwiches and two people burritos just, just mobile just, only yeah. yeah i'm not saying like that, that that can't be successful but i look at the other companies that try bringing a bunch of restaurant brands under one brand like restaurant brands like restaurant brands <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the owner of Burger King would be another one that I think of. And I, I don't know, I guess restaurant brands, I can't really point to a whole lot that I think they're doing wrong on the case of the Burger King owner. I can point to quite a bit that they seem to be doing wrong. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's necessarily yeah. the winning formula. Can we talk about butter? Finally. Let's talk about butter. Finally. I'm paying this off, waiting to pay this off. Do you guys keep your butter in the fridge? The I, majority of it I do. I do both. You I do keep what? a stick of both. salted butter. On the counter yep. at all times. It's got a nice little, uh, you know, ceramic dish, a little cover on top. Although, and then I'll we be got quite honest, on the fridge. I keep my house so cold that keeping a stick of salted butter on the counter in the winter months does not actually make it very soft. It's basically still in the fridge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a big proponent of the both as well. It's, hey, you want something you can easily spread on some... Uh, Why are we so terrified of needing to refrigerate everything in this country? I don't know. It's the poultry police, man. Like... I lived in um, part of Brazil for three months while studying there years and years ago, and very little dairy was kept in the fridge. I had to get used to drinking warm milk because Wait, they had... what? Yeah. Okay, that's... Milk was no, that's, not kept in the fridge. That's weird. And it did not spoil. Mm, I wouldn't trust that. <laughs> that I mean, I, I milk mean, I would not trust. He's still here. Yeah I, I, yeah. I am alive, and I never tasted sour milk. Now, granted... Maybe it wasn't real milk. They were not going through gallons of milk at a time. It was a much smaller, you know, smaller serving size, but... So it wasn't was kept a for a week, of, is no, what you're it saying. it was not kept for a week. It was kept for a couple days. Well, that's why... Again, but... Americans buy food differently. We do. Yeah. You could argue that in some ways it's worse because the premium in the U.S. is on shelf stability as opposed to freshness freshness yeah and stuff that's actually good for you yeah but yeah i mean we are terrified of things like uh spoiling and expiration dates Ex no expiration oh, dates i'm a firm believer in that they it, don't matter that needs to I, change i agree but yeah. everybody Just else is terrified of them. smell it and if it smells fine eat it yeah. is is kind of my go-to my my wife gives me a lot of grief because of all the stuff that I eat that's like three months past its expiration. And I'm like, smells fine, tastes fine, let's go. Yeah. 
I mean, this Best Buy or, you know, don't use after. Whatever. Just be more clear with the expirations, please. I'm a big believer that you can eat open salsa for up to six months. <laughs> Stocks are up. First Republic is down and halted. We're done for the day and the week. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and we are back here next week to kick off May with a busy, busy week. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>